morning. Again, if this is your first time, I, I want to reiterate what Fred said, just as such a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in a series that we started last week called In Case You Missed It. I would have called it In Case You Missed It, but it's You Missed It. Um, I've got here my daughter's Bible. My daughter's four, and uh, we got her this Bible when she was about two years old, and we'll sit down and we'll read her stories out of it, and you know, it's got all the good ones. It's got like um, Noah's Ark, uh, David and Goliath, the creation of the world, uh, all of those ones, but, but in this series, we're taking a look at some of the stories that actually aren't in this book. Um, aren't in this Bible, because these are, this is a kid's Bible, so it doesn't have every story, um, but all the stories in the Bible, everything in the Bible, this is probably one of the most important things you can under, should understand about the Bible, is that it's one cohesive story. It's easy to get caught up sometimes in the weeds or in a certain story and, and wonder, how does this fit in? But the truth is, is that every story in the Bible has uh, significance. It's there for a reason. 2 Timothy 3 says that Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for instructing us, for teaching us, for correcting us. And so every story in here is worth looking at. And so last week we looked at kind of an obscure story from Numbers 21. If you remember, uh, the Israelites, God's people, they're going toward the promised land. They start grumbling and complaining. And these snakes come out and they start biting their ankles and uh, killing the people. And this is what God, God has Moses do is he says, make this bronze snake and raise it up on a pole and have the Israelites who have been bitten look at this snake. And through doing that, they'll be saved. And we see how that story was kind of a, a prophecy, so to speak, of things to come because Jesus said in John 3, 14, that just like the snake was raised to save the people of Israel, so the Son of Man, so will Jesus be raised up on the cross. So it's kind of this cool uh, thing that happened thousands of years ago before Christ came that pointed toward Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at one of, honestly, my favorite stories, because it's hilarious, um, it's Balaam and the donkey. Balaam and the donkey. Now, donkey is the NLT. King James Version is different. I'll just say that, okay? <laughs> if you understand. So if you're reading your King James Version, you're like, wait, what? Hold on, what? No, it's different. Um, so Balaam, <laughs> Balaam, sorry, I had to make that joke. I had to make that joke. Um, Balaam and the donkey. And uh, it's not just any donkey, it's a talking donkey. That we're, that, okay, so it's going to get really good. But, but before we look at that, we need some context on some things. Um, the first thing is this, is that uh, this story of Balaam and the donkey is referenced multiple times in the Bible after it happens in Numbers 22. And again, Numbers 22 is one chapter after what we looked at last week, one, Numbers 21. And the bronze snake. But this is, we, we need to see who Balaam is first. So this is who Balaam is. In Second Peter, this is actually the New Testament, but uh, Peter brings up Balaam and he says this, they've wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. So spoiler alert, 
uh, Balaam is, is kind of the bad guy in this story that we're going to look at. But, it, but it's, it's not super obvious at first, okay? We, we, but as we see in the New Testament, um, he was doing this to earn money, to earn fame. Um, Balaam was a pagan prophet. And this means he was a diviner or he was a seer. And what pagan prophets would do is they, they were super connected to the spiritual world, the things that we can't see. And they would prophesy um, and send blessings or curses on certain people. And these carried with it a lot of weight, as we're going to see in this story. Um, so we, we open up the story um, in Numbers 22. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to Numbers 22 or your Bible apps on your phone. Uh, we're going to go through a lot of Scripture today. It's a story, which is good, so it'll, it'll move fast, though, so you may want to just kind of follow along. So this is, this is what it starts in, uh, sorry, I skipped ahead, in, in Numbers 22, 1 through 3. This is what it says. Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River across from Jericho. Balak, son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. Okay, so again, Israel, they've been walking around in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the same Israel who walked through the Red Sea. Okay, God parted the Red Sea, they walked through it, and because of their disobedience, because they were a bunch of idiots, they had not come into the promised land that God had promised to them yet, but they're right on the doorstep. They're right on the doorstep, and they've been taking out all of these people groups, the Amorites right here, and the king, uh, Balak, he says, have you seen what they've done to these other people groups. If they did that to them, then they're surely going to do it to us. And so he's kind of panicking here. So Balak, the king, doesn't want to lose his power, doesn't want to lose his influence, doesn't want to lose his fame. And so he calls Balaam. He calls Balaam and he says this in verses 5 to 6. He says, so Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor, who was living in his native land of Pithor, near the Euphrates River. And this is his message. He says, look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me because they're too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on the people that you curse. So, so a curse or a blessing is, is serious business. It's not just saying something with emptiness. It, only a person in a position of authority who has weight, who's connected to the spiritual realm can do this and, and make it uh, actually come to fruition. And so Balak uh, comes to Balaam and he says, please come. Because these people are too powerful for me. So, see, Balak kind of probably already knew it was going to happen, but he was going to try to mess up the plans that God had, had already set into place. And I'm, I'm sure you could guess, spoiler alert, what's going to happen. Um, so this, this is the, the king Balak calling Balaam. And so there's a few things we're going to learn as we get into the actual story of Balaam and the donkey. And the first thing is this. 
It's that God is fighting for our attention, and he's going to do whatever uh, he needs to do to get it. He's going to do whatever it takes to get our attention. You know, I think all of us can think back in our lives if you've been a follower of God or follower of Jesus, or maybe at the time you weren't, and you knew that God was trying to get your attention through something. Sometimes it's, it's supernatural things that happen. Maybe it's a talking donkey. If it is, please come talk to me afterwards. I would love to hear that in the 21st century. Um, I would first ask you what you were on when you did it, but... But that's what God can do, right? God can, can take these, these crazy things because it's well within his power to get our attention. For Balaam, it took a talking donkey to get uh, his attention. And I love that word God is fighting because it is a fight. As we're going to talk about a little later, there, there are two powers in this world. God is the supreme power, but there's another power at work too. And so God is fighting to get our attention and he's going to do whatever it takes to get it. And maybe God is trying, has been trying to get your attention for some time now. Maybe you're here this morning and that, that's, that, that we're ta- even talking about this is like, oh my goodness. Like I knew that I shouldn't have come today because of this message, right? Like God has been trying to speak to me and I've been shoving him to the side, but God is going to fight and do whatever it takes to get your attention. This is what it says as we open up the story in 21. It says, so the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent an angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Okay, so what happened before this is you can see Balaam ultimately decides to go to Balak. But what happens first is that these officials come to Balaam and they say, hey, come with us. Balak wants you to curse this people. And so Balaam says, okay, I'll seek God and see what he says and then let you know. So Balaam does that. God tells him definitively, do not go, but Balaam comes back and he says, yeah, God told me not to go, but why don't you come back tomorrow and see if God changed his mind? Now, what do you think Balaam is doing there? He's he's just trying to get more money out of these people, right? He knows that the king is desperate, and so he sees an opportunity here. He's like, this is what God said but if you come again tomorrow, God might change his mind. We looked at the second Peter. We can see that he would do anything to get more money. And this is exactly what he was doing as he was trying to get more out of these officials. And he probably could. He had all the leverage here. So he goes to God again the next day. God tells him, this is the tone I think God uses for him. I'm not sure. You know what, Balaam? Go ahead. Go with these guys. But say what I tell you to say. That's what God says. So, so God doesn't change his mind, but he allows Balaam, because Balaam is going to go with them anyway. God knows his heart better than even maybe Balaam knows his own heart. He's going to go with these guys, and God is going to teach him a lesson. And this is the lesson he's teaching him right here. Numbers 28. In the same chapter, through 30. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. 
What have I done to you that deserves you beating me three times? It asked Balaam. You've made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. And then the donkey said, this is so good. But I'm the same donkey you've ridden all your life. Have I ever done anything like this before? And I love his, no. That's how I think he said, no, you haven't. Right? So like the, the donkey starts speaking. And like if you're, if you're Balaam, you're like, okay, am I really about to have a conversation with my donkey, right? Who I've never heard speak before, who's never done anything like this. But he's, he, he's so enraged that he starts to have this conversation with him. And what's funny about this is that it's like the donkey is way more rational and smart than Balaam is. Balaam is flying off the handle in frustration and the donkey's asking him really good questions, right? I've been your donkey for, for a long time. Have I ever done this before? And he can't help but say, no, you haven't. And this is what makes it all the better is this is probably who the donkey was, right? He probably had the voice of Eddie Murphy and, uh, when he was talking with him. Hopefully he did. It makes it that much more funny. But here's this guy, Balaam, who's, who's a big, big deal. He's a big deal. He's going with the king's officials to meet this king, and he's flying off the handle. Balaam probably, because the king was seeking him, was probably really, really successful, like the king's not going to go get some scrub to do this. He's going to get the best, highest guy that he can, most successful guy. And, and the irony of this is that, that at first, Balaam can't see the angel standing in the road, but the donkey can. Balaam is the one who is connected to the spiritual realm, who should be able to see the, this angel, but he can't, and the donkey can. And then finally, this happens. 31, it says this, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded? Look, I've come to block your way because you're stubbornly resisting me. And then it says, three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you're against my going. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. So you see, a lot happens to, this, this is, I would almost guarantee you this has never happened to Balaam. Balaam has always been well in control of these types of situations. He was probably very confident in handling this, but this is something that's totally new. He sees the angel, and what he does is he falls face down before it. He falls face down, and then he confesses, I, I've sinned, which is interesting, in fact, it goes on to say, Balaam, Balaam talks about God as being over here, but then later on he says, my Lord. He, he confesses God as being his Lord. God is, is shaping and molding Balaam here. And even when Balaam deserved to die for his disobedience, for his greed, for his selfishness, God showed him 
mercy, and grace. Balaam says, should I just go home? And I, I believe he would have gone home at that point. Like that's a jarring enough experience that you would probably change your ways and go home. But, but God says, the angel says, through, uh, the Lord says through the angel, no, go with these men. But again, say only what I want you to say. Say only what I want you to say. Because God is going to use him. God is going to use him. Even though he was trying to mess things up, God is going to use him. Because this is the second thing we need to understand, that God is sovereign and will always fulfill his purposes. How frustrating is it when a person says that they'll do something and then they don't do it? Oh, I promise I'll do this. I promise. I promise. And then they don't do it. Or I, pro- I promise I'll never do that again. And then they go and do it, right? And we, we probably all, if, if I'm being honest, I don't know about you, I've, I've done that before. And I'm sorry if I've done that to anyone sitting in this room because I probably don't realize it. But you make promises and you break them. But it's how much more uh, uh, frustrating when that's done to you. And what does it do when a person does that? You lose that trust in that person. Their, their words don't mean as much as they did before. But this is the beautiful thing about God, is that God will always, always fulfill his promises. What God says will happen. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't say, no, just kidding, I'm not going to do that. He will always fulfill his promises. Because he's sovereign, this is a churchy word, sovereign, it means, it means he, he is able, he, he is all-powerful. He's the creator, the sustainer of the universe. He's in complete control of everything, and even in spite of the Israelites being dumb, he's still going to fulfill his promises to them. I, I want to show you as as Uh, Balaam goes to Balak and starts to utter these prophecies that God is speaking through him to the king. He does seven. And Balaam probably doesn't realize this, but he is confirming the promises of God with all seven. I just want to look at four of them right here. Genesis 13, God says, I'm going to make you as numerous as dust. This is what Balaam says. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom the Lord has not condemned? Who can count Jacob's descendants as numerous as the dust? Balaam is affirming what God said hundreds of years earlier. This is the second one. God will be with you. This promise from Genesis 17. In Numbers 23, Balaam says, Listen, I received a command to bless. God has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. No misfortune is in his plan for Jacob. No trouble is in store for Israel, for the Lord their God is with them. The promise from Genesis 12 that these Israelite people will have their own land. It says, this message of the one who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open. That means for Balaam, literally and figuratively, his eyes are wide open to who God is. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob. How lovely are your homes, O Israel. And then it says this, this is the best one. From Genesis 49, the star of Jacob, this is what Balaam says. He says, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future, a star will rise from Jacob, 
a scepter will emerge from Israel. Let's look at that in Genesis 49.10. This is Jacob sitting down with his, his 12 sons. Joseph was included in this. Uh, uh, Joseph had two tribes. Um, and he says this, Jacob says this to Judah, his son. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. You know who this is talking about? This is talking about Jesus. In the first book of the Bible, in the first book, Jacob sits down and is promising uh, is telling his sons God's promises, and he says to Judah, the, the, uh, one of the, uh, the ruler's staff from his descendants will come, the one whom all nations will honor. Thousands of years before Jesus would come, this is prophesied. And, and Balaam probably had no idea who this was talking about, but he saw him. He saw him in all of his glory. He was talking about Jesus. God will always always, always fulfill his promises. Always. And some of us need to hear that because some of us don't really believe that. We don't believe that God is trustworthy. We don't believe that God is reliable. But he says in his word and he's proven through his word and and I'm sure in so many of the lives of, of you sitting here this morning how faithful he is to fulfill his promises. But as I said before, You know, God is the supreme power, but there's a very real power other than than God that's at work in this world. And this is what we see at the end of the story of Balaam. The enemy will never stop trying to curse God's people. Balaam couldn't do it through magic, and so he did it through culture. This is what we know about Satan, who's this enemy. We know that Satan is going to do everything that he can to pull you away from what God has for you. We know that Satan's going to do everything he can to steal and kill and destroy in your life. He's going to discourage. He's going to distract. He's going to, he's going to normalize the things that uh, the culture says are normal. <laughs> that's, that's because of Satan. Satan does that. He says, ah, it doesn't matter. Everyone's doing this. You should too, and you can too. And, and we can start to believe this in our lives. You see, because Balaam, he was this magician. He was this sorcerer. He was this diviner, this seer. But he understood that he couldn't thwart God's purposes through that. But there was another way that he could try to do it, and it was through culture. And the very last, uh, oh, this is, this is Numbers 25. One through three, it says this. When the Israelites were camped at Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with the local Moabite women. So remember, Balak is the king of Moab. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods, so the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. I mean, Come on, Israel. Like, seriously. Like, time and time again, God has delivered you, and you still go back to what makes me happy, what makes me content, what gives me pleasure. They're worshiping the gods of Baal, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. 
In the last book, it gives us a little more clarity, Revelation 2.14, on this specific story. It says, but I have a few complaints against you. This is Jesus speaking. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. Have you ever noticed that, like, if you've ever been to another country, they're, they're so much more aware of the spiritual realm than I think a lot of Americans are. Because we've said, oh, it's just Hollywood, that's not real, that, you know, that's a figment of our imagination and everything like that. Satan, Taylor makes stuff that's going to affect who he's trying to affect. So, in other words... We're so distracted here in America that he doesn't really need to do anything other than keep us distracted. In another culture, though, there's, I mean, like, seriously, I've got friends who are missionaries. When you, when you go overseas, there's such a heightened awareness of the spiritual realm of things, that, that there is spiritual warfare in the world. Talk to anyone who went to Haiti and, and learn about witch doctors. I mean, that stuff is crazy, okay? That stuff is insane, but it happens in the 21st century. See, but what Satan does to so many of us is he just, he just gets us with culture. We want to be a part of culture. We want to experience the same things that everyone else experiences, Two highlighted here, offering food to idols, idol, uh, do, doing offering things to uh, things that aren't God. We give our worship, we give our devotion to those things, committing sexual sin. Turn on any TV show, and most likely there's going to be sexual sin in it, right? I mean, this is just kind of a normal thing that's happening in our culture. But, but here's, here's some good news, because while that's true... While Satan uses culture, God promises us this. He says this in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. He said, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. You see, Satan, I'm speaking to the Christian, Satan has already lost. The battles, I, I, love how, I love how we sang that song, the battle belongs to God, and the battle is already won, right? If you, if you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, by grace through faith, the battle's already won, yet we can still get distracted sometimes by the culture and forget that the battle's already won. But I love this, the Lord is faithful. That word faithful also means completely trustworthy. The Lord is completely trustworthy to do what? To strengthen and guard you, Christians, from Satan, from what he's going to try to do in your life. You know, it's not up to your ability or your righteousness to beat Satan. If you try to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan, you'll probably lose. But if you rely on the Holy Spirit, the battle's already been won. The battle belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. Your response is to trust in God that he's already done 
everything through Jesus on the cross. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to celebrate that, an act of worship that we do here once a month, uh, first Sunday is communion. If you didn't get your little communion cup, you can go grab it now. Communion is for anyone who has placed their trust and their faith in the finished work of the cross. You don't have to be a regular attender here at Alpine. Um, the, only, the only thing is that you've trusted in Jesus for your salvation. But, I, but I, want to, I want to show you a verse speaking about communion that maybe we don't always think about because communion is an act of worship and it's really a, it's a personal opportunity to take a self-examination um, before we do this. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 29. He says, so anyone who eats this bread, the bread is the wafer which represents the body, or drinks this cup, the juice that represents the blood, and they do it unworthily, is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Now this is kind of a, this isn't, I think, what we often think of when we think of communion. It's a time to remember, it's a time to reflect, it's a time to repent, it's a time to examine our lives. See, this is what Paul is calling out are the people who, who are living in unrepentant sin, who have trusted in Jesus for the, their salvation, but then are saying, you know what, God, but I'm going to do whatever I want because your grace will cover it. And I'm going to justify my sin and I'm going to live, I'm going to enjoy all the pleasures that this world has to offer. Paul is saying, when that's your attitude... When that's your heart, when coming to communion, you're drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Because really, Jesus took your judgment on the cross, but you're abusing what Jesus did on the cross for you. And then that, that's put on you. And so what this isn't saying is that you're perfect and that you have to have everything together. And that you always have to make the right decisions, right? That's not what this is saying. What, what this is saying is that it's really a posture of your heart. It's an attitude. As you approach the cross, do you approach it as, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. Yep, woo, I can do whatever I want. Or do you approach it humbly in submission and say, God, I, I see my brokenness. I see the ways that I've wronged you and I continue to wrong you. But God, I'm sorry, for doing those things. God, help me to examine myself as I take this. God, not to do it flippantly, not to do it without thought, but God, to, to really understand and recognize just the amount of love that you've given me and that you've poured out on the cross. It's not about perfection, but it is about your attitude in doing it. And so as, as the worship team plays this song in a couple minutes, I just really encourage you, take a few minutes to just really examine your life and ask, ask God, God, show me any way that I'm not honoring you. Show me any, any way that I'm not trusting in you. And then God, through your power, not through my ability, help me to change my way. That's what repenting means. Repenting means to literally make a U-turn and go in the other direction. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that 
that's okay. This morning, we're so glad you're here again. Um, I want to encourage you to just sit and reflect on everything that we've talked about today. If you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, I would love to talk more with you uh, about that after the service. But, but really, this is what we need to know, that we're 100% reliant. If you're a Christian, you're 100% reliant on Christ for what he's done for you on the cross. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, so much. God, for the amount of love that you've poured out through your son Jesus on the cross, Lord. And I I do pray that, Lord, we would never approach you um, in anything but in reverence and in awe and in submission, God. Not because you're scary, but God, because you are completely loving and merciful, so much more than we could ever even understand. God, thank you for, um, for everyone in this room, God. I, I don't know what they're going through, what their life circumstances are, God. Maybe they're struggling in life, and God, they don't know what to do. God, even as followers of Jesus, God, we can get in a place where we, f- we forget what you've done for us and what that means for our lives. And so, God, I pray that you would meet each and every person exactly where they need to be met this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would show us the ways in which uh, we need to more fully love you, more fully trust you, more fully honor you, God. And if, if, there's, if there's someone out there, God, who doesn't know you, God, that they, would, um, that they would experience your presence this morning in a very real way. God, I, I you know, it's easy to get upset when we read the Old Testament or the Bible and, and get so mad at the people for the choices they make. But God, when we're honest, we make those same choices every day. God, so help us to, to have a proper perspective of ourselves, God, that we're not gonna be perfect. God, that, that's not what it's about, but it's about following you, the perfect God who created us, who loves us more than we could ever understand. So God, as we take communion together, May this be an act of worship. God, may this be an act of just reflection and examination. And God, that we would ultimately just learn to follow you more closely in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.